Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Would you let your nine-year-old son ride the New York City subway system alone? Columnist Lenore Skenazy did. Then she wrote about the experience in the New York Sun. What followed was a storm of media attention and a mix of accolades and accusations from parents everywhere. New movement also grew from Skenazy's bold move. It's called free-range parenting. We're going to talk about parenting today and uh, all these labels that are flying around. Parenting styles... What's the best? Uh, helicopter parenting, slacker parents, there's even a movement called nonpartisan parenting. We're going to be talking with Lenore Skenazy, who's a blogger, columnist, author, reality show host, who lives in New York City with her husband and two sons. And uh, she says the aim of free-range kids is uh, fighting the belief that our children are in constant danger from creeps, kidnapping, germs, grades, flashers, frustration, failure, baby snatchers, bugs, bullies, men, sleepovers, and or the perils of a non-organic grape. <laughs> Lenore Skenazy, uh, as I mentioned, blogger, columnist, she's written a book on this as well. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Tom. I'm actually standing here in Central Park. Let's hope I don't get mugged. <laughs> okay. okay, we'll talk about risk versus reward. Uh, we are, we're also joined by Julie Lithcott-Hames. She's author of the book, How to Raise an Adult. She served as Dean of Freshmen and Undergraduate Advising for more than a decade at Stanford University, where she received the Dinkelspiel Award for her contributions to undergraduate experience. She's a mother of two teenagers. She's spoken and written widely on the phenomenon of helicopter parenting. Her work has appeared on TEDx Talks and in Forbes, Chicago Tribune. She's pursuing an MFA in creative writing at California College of the Arts in San Francisco. Julie Lithcott-Hames, welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. And hi, Lenore. Hi, hi, Julia. Forgive me. I good, need to, some to flowers. Good, good, <laughs> good. Connect the two of you on uh, on opposite coasts. Uh, let me start with Lenora. Yeah, so we've been connected before. We, oh. we know each other. Oh, oh, good, good, excellent. Yeah. Uh, so Lenora Skenazy, uh, you know, you've told this story many times, and I think a lot of people know this, but not all in our audience may know this. You, uh, you and your husband decided to let your nine-year-old son ride the New York City subway system alone. Then you decided to write about it. Tell me, brief that experience. Well, it wasn't our idea. It was our son's idea. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he had asked my husband and me if we would take him someplace he'd never been before and let him find his own way home by public transportation because that's how we get around here in New York City. Um, we're always on the subways. We see that they're outrageously crowded. I was just reading that the subway line that I take the most, um, which is just one subway line out of probably 25, has um, 500,000 people a day just on that one line. So I believe there's safety in numbers. And so we decided, yes, we would let him do this little adventure on his own. And I left him at Bloomingdale's, a very, very fancy shop in a very, very fancy neighborhood on a sunny Sunday afternoon, not at 3 in the morning. And I said, okay, today's the day. And I went one way, and he went the other. And he had to take the subway about, I don't know, five stops, which is maybe 10 or 15 minutes, if that. And then he had to take a cross-town bus. And, um, and when he came home, he was levitating. He was so proud of himself, of his ride, of growing up. And we were so proud because that is, you know, that's Julia's point, too. It's, it's fun to raise an adult. It's fun to watch your kid grow up and become competent instead of just keeping them sort of embryonic. And so I didn't write about it immediately, even though I'm a columnist, because it wasn't a publicity stunt. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't what I was going to base my entire career on. Um, but it became that because a few months later when I had nothing to write about, I wrote about his ride, and I was immediately swept up in this media maelstrom that you were discussing of condemnation and, and also interest. And um, that was it. I was on all these shows describing 
um, why, I, you know, why I didn't think I was America's worst mom, even though that's the name I got. <laughs> right, and you've embraced that. In fact, that's the title of a television show, I think. World's worst. Yeah, mom. yeah, yeah. Now, now I, I actually got bumped up to world's worst mom <laughs> for I think syndication purposes. <laughs> right. um, you so, know, or maybe it's just I've been America's worst mom so long that I, um, you know, I graduated. So what? Why do you think? Why do you think this hit so big? I get part of it is I guess parents are worried about their kids, worried about if I'm doing a good job. What's a, Why do you think this hit so big? Well, yeah, I mean, parents have always worried about their kids and worried if they're doing a good job. I, um, You know, I've had a long time to reflect on what made this such a controversial thing, because I've written about many times over the years, because I'm a columnist, about letting my kids, you know, I have two boys, go to the bathroom in a public place by themselves, you know, when they were six and four, or letting them play outside when they were seven and five, you know, without my constant supervision. And those um, didn't really, you know, cause a stir whatsoever. I think they, you know, got forgotten the next day. Um, I think this one caused such a stir because, first of all, people have only seen New York City uh, in movies and on TV shows, and it either looks like it's a place where you can get a fabulous apartment for almost nothing on Friends, or that it's hell, and especially when you talk about the subways. So the subways and New York City together equal this one-two punch of danger um, if you're not familiar with them and aren't just schlepping on them every day as your form of transportation. But I really think um, the reason I got so much blowback personally is because of this particular question that I got asked on um, the Today Show to begin with, and then pretty much, I'd say, most shows thereafter. And it was this. It was Lenore, after they do the pleasantries, how would you have felt if your son never came home. And they ask it as if they're being, you know, sympathetic or curious, and, and yet they're not. <laughs> you know? They know how I would have felt if she had never come home. So it's really not a question. That itself is an accusation. And the accusation is this. Um, I'm thinking about how terrible I would feel if, you're, you know, if my kid never came home. Why aren't you thinking that way? Why aren't you thinking of the very worst possible scenario and then having it shake you to the core, like it would any good mom, and then deciding, no, it's not worth it, it's not worth the risk. So I gradually came to realize that what I was being castigated for was not partaking of society's belief in always thinking of the very worst case scenario. You have to do that to be a good parent now. You're supposed to imagine them, almost, almost imagine them dead. I mean, I hate to put so bald a point on it, but that's what it is. If you're not thinking of your kid being, you know, kidnapped, raped, and murdered, you're not doing it right. And, and I don't think of my kid that way. I think of my, my kid and my society and my city and my, and my own parenting is, is pretty good, and, um, and I think the odds are vastly on my side. Let me turn to Julie Lithcott Hames. Uh, what do you? What I'm hearing from Lenore is is it's you're you're balancing risks and, and rewards. The rewards being, you know, as you say in your book, raising an adult, letting them, you know, face some things uh, on their own, but balancing that against against the risks. Tom, that's exactly right. Our job as parents is to put ourselves out of a job. That's our biological imperative, if you will. With, if mm-hmm. things go the way we hope they will, we will predecease our children, not the other way around. I'm speaking at this really sort of biological, existential, philosophical level just to remind us that that's actually our point. We need to know our kids have what it takes to survive without us, and childhood is meant to 
allow them opportunity after opportunity to grow skills and habits and mindsets such that they have what it takes to have the wherewithal to fend for themselves out in the world, whether it's New York City or Utah or the Bay Area here in California or anywhere else around the world. So, you know, to Lenore's beautiful point, um, people make the accusation, how would you have felt if the bad thing we fear terribly eventuated, even though it is statistically so, so, so unlikely to happen? We parent as if and it so could happen at any moment. You can't even predict or prepare it. Exactly. So my feeling is we're neglecting them by not teaching them the skills they're going to need. If we keep them by our side all the time and never give them opportunity to grow and stretch, then they become these chronologically adult men and women who've never had a chance Mm -hmm. to be more than a yard or two or a mile or two away from mom or dad. They don't know how to be in the world, and we need to start, you know, speaking in that manner. In other words, it's not neglect to let them ride the subway. I think it's neglect when they're when it's age appropriate. I think it's neglect not to. I met a mom in Atlanta who wouldn't let her 17-year-old ride the subway. And I just thought, whoa, you know, when is that quote-unquote child <laughs> you're going to be sufficiently adult in your mind such that you'll quote-unquote let her? It's our job to provide them with these with these skills. And uh, I think of Lenore's work, free-range parenting, really, you could just call it parenting the way it used to be. And, you know, can we get over ourselves? Can we get over our egos? Can we get out of the trenches of this media-fueled frenzy about stranger danger and and return to a time, you know, that's appropriate, you know, the types of behaviors from the past situated in the 21st century that really give our kids the toughness and the wherewithal to thrive out there? So, Lenore Scanese, I wonder... Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry I want to, to interrupt. Be... I'm just so agreeing. The, uh-huh. You know, if you see everything only in terms of risk, um, there's nothing that's safe enough. And actually, that's sort of what our society has started doing. I get the recall notices from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. And um, a couple months ago, they recalled 140,000 sweatshirts, children's sweatshirts, because there was a zipper on them and that the company had received one phone call about a zipper pull that had fallen off of one of these 140,000 sweatshirts, and because that posed a choking hazard, because you could imagine, my God, what if it fell off and there was a child nearby and the child put this in her mouth and somehow it occluded her airways, you know, then she'd be dead. And so suddenly you have 140,000 sweatshirts in a pile in a landfill somewhere because we're only looking at that sweatshirt as how could it kill a child? That It's almost like OCD. It's seeing danger everywhere in everything that we could possibly let our kids do, see, eat, wear, encounter, dot, dot, dot. And like Julia says, you're forgetting that your job is to have them encounter life. And, um, and, and the fact is that right now we're at the, one of the safest times in human history, actually the safest time, according to Harvard professor Steven Pinker, and our crime rate today is back to what it was in 1963. So when, probably when you were growing up, it was sometime in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, the crime rate was higher than it is today. And so our parents weren't crazy to let us go outside and ride our bikes and walk to school. And, and so there's no reason to think that it's dangerous, particularly dangerous or neglectful, um, to let our own children do the same. And as Julia says, it's not only normal, it's healthy. 
We uh, put out a, a query on the Public Insight Network. You know, by the way, you know, we're inviting listeners to respond, become a source on the Public Insight Network, uh, share your expertise, your thoughts, your opinions. Go to our website, upr.org. And so of our respondents, we had the one several questions. One of the questions is, in your opinion, are threats to children, that is child abductions, child abuse, etc., more or less prevalent now than when you were uh, growing up? And a majority of our respondents said more. But Lenore, you're you're saying yeah. you're yeah. saying, and I think that's not unusual. And yet, statistics it, it are saying that, that it's uh... right. Um, I mean, all the Roper polls and the Gallup polls show that when you ask people is crime going up or down, even even to the past year when it went down another four point four percent, people say it's going up, and that's why um, I don't really blame parents for being so afraid. I blame the society that has brainwashed us with fear. If you turn on TV and Every newscast includes a story about somebody. It could be a thousand miles away, three thousand miles away. It could be ten years ago. There was a story about somebody taken, and let's see, you know, where are they now? Or let's revisit the grieving parents. You know, your body registers these as, oh my God, it's happening all the time because on TV it is happening all the time. Sometimes it's the same story happening for ten years, like with John Benet Ramsey. And so parents do feel that abductions are up because. They are up on television. There was a fantastic study done of TV newscasts in the 90s um, when uh, murders fell 20% in the 90s. They, they peaked in 93, and then they were falling since then. So they, they fell by 20%. That's like a fantastic piece of amazing news. Um, and yet on the TV newscast, they were up 600% because woe to the news director who decides to go as a Kids were pretty safe today. Story, nobody will watch that show. They will watch it if you say, you know, a, a stranger was seen near the bus stop. Details when we come back from this. And you sit there on the edge of your chair waiting to hear the details because you think, was it my bus stop? Is my child in danger? And those are the stories they feed us over and over and over. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we have an uh, an email from Joe. Uh, you're welcome to email the program at upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. You can join us on Twitter as well, and uh, we hope you'll, uh, as you're listening to the program, go to our website, upr.org, click on the pin uh, button there. You can join the Public Insight Network and respond to our questions about parenting there, and we'll be giving more responses as we go through the program here. We're talking about... Parenting today. There's there's a lot of labels out there: helicopter parents, slacker parents, nonpartisan parents. We're talking about free range parenting, and Lenore Skenazy uh, has a blog and a column. She's author of a book on free range parenting, uh, and Julie Lithgott Hames is author of How to Raise an Adult. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Devour Utah a bi-monthly magazine devoted to covering Utah's dining and drink scene with a spotlight on cooking, local happenings, and libations. Available at newsstands or online at devourutah.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Shad. Iron Maiden frontman Bruce Dickinson joins me to talk about his career, his recent health challenges, and his many other talents like piloting jetliners. Bruce Dickinson, coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. Join us Tuesday afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. How were you uh, raised as a child? Were, uh, were you uh, a free-range uh, child? A lot of us were, I think. 
This is a fairly recent development, helicopter parenting. We've heard all about that. And uh, there's, uh, there's people who claim they're slacker parents or nonpartisan parents. Uh, Lenore Skenazy, after she let her nine-year-old son ride the, New- ride the New York City subway system alone and wrote about it, uh, got a, a storm of media attention. Some accolades, some accusations, and uh, she's gone on to this kind of become a central focus, free-range parenting. Uh, and Julie Lithcott-Hames is author of How to Raise an Adult. She served as Dean of Freshman and Undergraduate Advising for more than a decade at Stanford University. I want to talk about that as we go along. Uh, first, in this uh, part of the program, and by the way, you're welcome to join it. We hope that you will, either reflecting on your childhood or how you're raising your children. Um, the, the way to reach us is upraxis at gmail.com. That's our email, upraxis at gmail.com. You can call us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. And uh, we're hoping you go to our website, upr.org. Click on the Public Insight Network button and uh, respond to our query there. We're giving results from that during the show as well. Uh, so... Um, Lenore Skenazy, I want to I want to have you respond to this uh, post. It's a response on Amazon.com to uh, your book, mm-hmm. and uh, this person gave you one out of five stars. I should mention that okay. uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's four point <laughs> five. I actually have four four point <laughs> five stars out of five from the hundred and something so, uh, other reviews. So, so, so the great majority of readers loved your book and and found it. And I should mention that Olga. I'm going to quote. Just three paragraphs from Olga. She got jumped on by 161 people, I think the majority of which were, you know, contradicting her. But I thought this was an interesting point. I want to have you uh, respond yeah, to this. Sure. I'll get Julie sure. as well. Uh, so she says, this is Olga. According to Lenore, mm-hmm. if the chance of your child being abducted and tortured to death by a stranger is only one in 610,000, then you should simply act as if the real number is zero. Using this type of logic, uh, I, uh, if I have a, a chance of contracting lockjaw from stepping on a rusty nail is only one in 10,000. Who needs the tetanus shot? She goes on to say, well, 115 children in the U.S. are abducted by strangers, sexually assaulted, murdered every year. 115. She says this is not an urban myth, horror film. It isn't Steve King novel. It's a four classrooms full of children. And then con- I'll conclude with this paragraph. There is a difference between rare and non-existent. In the face of any kind of preventable risk, a parent has a responsibility to work to prevent the event, regardless of the odds against it ever happening. So I thought that was a, that was an interesting point about that risk, you know, mm-hmm, assessment. Mm-hmm. I wonder well, what really your response. Is that that is mostly how um, people who are. Uh, thinking that way are thinking, and um, what I what I like to ask them is, I agree that we should try to prevent whatever preventable risk we can, um, so long as it doesn't mean that we completely change our lives to the point where we have no life whatsoever. Which I, you know, perhaps that's the apotheosis of keeping our kids safe would be to just keep them inside and not have them walk anywhere. But but the question I like to ask is, um, does Olga ever put her child in a car? <laughs> Um, because if she does, she is exposing her child to the number one way kids die in America, which unfortunately is as car passengers, even car passengers in cars driven by very loving parents and children, you know, put in all sorts of safety devices. So we somehow can keep that danger in perspective. We know that there's a very small chance that when we drive our kids to the dentist, we will be sideswiped by a Mack truck or run over by, you know, or, or crashed into by a drunk driver, and, um, and that would be the end. And yet we steal ourselves, and we say, but I can't 
not go anywhere. I can't think about the rarest worst-case scenario every time I do anything. Or um, I couldn't have my kid play soccer. What if they get hit in the head? A kid played baseball. He got hit in the head. Um, so, so what we're doing obsessively these days is focusing on the rare and horrific, and it does stymie us. I mean, the minute you picture something scary, it stops you in your tracks. And the way the brain works is like Google. So if you're asking your brain, hmm, I wonder if the kid can wait at the bus stop, and your brain looks through its files, and up pops the first one it finds. And I think it actually does work on Google, too. J.C. Dugard, taken from her, her um, bus stop at age 11 or 12 and, and held captive for the next 18 years. And then the next posting in your brain is Aton Pate, who was taken from his bus stop when, uh, in 1979. And because these pictures are so vivid and so easy to retrieve from our brains, our brain thinks like Google. The, the most, you know, the, the, the top results are the most relevant and the most common, but they're not. They're the most horrific and rare, and that's why we can retrieve them, and it does turn us into, um, you know, very, very fearful parents. My, my mom knew that there was danger in the world, that we didn't live in a perfectly safe world, and, and I'm assuming yours did too, and Julia, I'm sure yours did too, and yet they sent us out. They weren't stopped by the fact that if there's any crime left anywhere in America, we just can't let our kids go out at all. Let me uh, get a response to, uh, to to Olga's, you know, talk about risk uh, from Julie Lithgott Hames. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, of course, I I I have compassion for Olga and people like Olga who, um, you know, are are very fearful about what's uh, what might happen and want to protect kids uh, from from any possible threat. But here's the point. When we behave as if the world is this frightening, scary place, and we just want to hold them by our sides and look both ways for them as they cross the street instead of teaching them to do that and you know, never, never letting them kind of beyond our gaze, they become chronologically adult, but they are still essentially um, fearful like a young child. And I think we've got to ask ourselves, wait a minute, let's just try to imagine our young sons and daughters 20, 30 years from now, a, a time when they're unequivocally adult. And imagine the kind of competence and confidence you want your son or daughter to have as they make their way in the world. We've got to actually teach them to look out for themselves and to make good decisions when they're out on the roads and on the subways and so on. We, we've, we, our job is to, to actually teach them these things, not to pretend as if we'll always be there to ensure um, that they're constantly safe. Uh, so, I totally agree. I think you yes. put that so well, because compassion is called for, because unfortunately, Olga is living in a horror movie. She only sees, you know, abducted children wherever she looks and whenever she thinks about her own kids. It's, it's the way that we've been exhorted to think by all these scary movies and Taken. I mean, there are parents who won't go to, to Europe anymore because of the Liam Neeson movies of Taken. Um, but Julia is right. If you actually want to um, make your kids safer, you teach them street smarts. And actually, it's not you who can teach them street smarts. It's the street that teach them street smarts. And when I spoke to the head of the Center for Missing and Exploited Children, that's the head of the organization that puts the missing kids' pictures on the milk cartons um, and neglected to tell us that most of those children were runaways um, or taken in non-custodial parenting disputes and a divorce. But anyways, what he said is the safest kids are the kids with confidence. And he said that they do get confidence by 
being on their own and being out on the street and not on the street, like living on the street, but crossing the street, you know, getting away from the scary dog, talking to a stranger when they're lost. And when you ask most parents, as I do in a lot of my lectures, to remember a time that they felt on top of the world, they were so proud, they just felt like they could do anything. What's weird is that a lot of the stories are when something went wrong. I was just like Jesse Ventura, the, the governor slash uh, wrestler, was just interviewing me last week, and he was telling me the story about when he was a kid, and he went to play ball with his friends one day. He came home, he had hurt his foot so hard, so bad, me, uh, that uh, Julia was from Stanford, badly, um, that he had to bicycle with just one foot on the pedal, and he had to wait till the pedal came up, um, and then push it down again with the good foot, because the bad foot hurt so much. And he got home, and his dad said, oh, for being such a wimp. And the next day, he couldn't go to school. And his mother said, really? And he said, yes, it hurt so much. And they went to the hospital. And it turned out he had broken three bones in his foot. But why did he tell me this story? Because when something went wrong, he put it himself so phenomenally that that might be the confidence that he got that later allowed him to go on and, and you know, pursue wrestling and then pursue politics. You know, you have these to trying to take everything bad out of our kids' lives because we think they can't handle it is a vote of no confidence. And believing in our kids that they can handle some adversity and some adventure and some independence gives them the wing, be- the wind, the wind beneath their wings. So why are we taking that away from them? Why are we deflating them? And as Julia says, leaving them, you know, chronologically aging, but not adding anything to their. Um, arsenal of uh, you know of safety and of confidence. I'm 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 trying to picture Jesse Ventura as a child. That's that's, that's quite the. Uh, <laughs> it's very even then. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, let me uh, turn to an email. This is an email from Joe, uh, who emailed us at upraxis@gmail.com. You can as well upraxis@gmail.com. What do you think? How are you parenting your child? And how do you assess the the risks? And are you a free range parent? Uh, do you think you're a helicopter parent? I think uh, many people loathe to uh, to to admit that, but there there are a lot of helicopter parents out there. So this is Joe. What are your? Let me uh, direct this uh, first to Julie. Uh, what are your guest thoughts about homeschooling and teaching children how to live in this world? There's... Well, Joe, thanks for the email. Um, you know, I think homeschooling can be a wonderful alternative if the local schools aren't um, supporting your child given their particular needs and. Um, uh, and, and I think that, you know, it, it can be a great uh, great thing for kids. I think the important thing is uh, to ensure that your kid is also learning to socialize. And I know there are a lot of homeschool communities where kids are interacting with other kids and uh, not sort of living into the cloister of home. Um, so having opportunities to still be out in the world, still interact with strangers, still have to contend with a system that isn't designed specifically for them. I think that's the potential downside of homeschool is the extent to which it seems to be incredibly responsive to the needs of that particular kid. If that if that kid comes to chronological adulthood having uh, grown to expect that, you know, every adult in their in their day-to-day life is, is really out to support them and, and provide for their every need and to smooth the path, they'll be quite bewildered when they get out into the world and discover that uh, that's not going to be the case. So it's, you know, do, do the homeschooling, but make sure that they're also being exposed to, uh, to the issues that arise in the broader world and, and really how to interact with humans beyond those they're already familiar with. Lenore Skenazy, what do you think? 
Uh, that sounded great to me. I've met a bunch of homeschooled young adults, and they seem, you know, uh, they seem fantastic. And uh, one thing that I would like to emphasize is that we think that um, every decision we make uh, and everything that our kids encounter is going to be so important to their development. I have a chapter in my book that says, relax, and every little thing you do is that, um, you know, that crucial to your child's development. There are so many influences on your kid besides exactly how you're raising them, what you're feeding them, what you're saying to them. You know, they're in a wider world. There's friends, there's relatives, there's TV, there's the neighborhood. So I, um, I just think that parents can relax a little and not worry, are they doing things exactly right? Because, A, <laughs> there's no way to do things exactly right. Um, and, B, it's not like it's a recipe. And if you, if you do it perfectly and you sift the flour twice, um, you're going to have the perfectly rising uh, souffle of a child, and anything else, they're going to fail. It's, it's, um, it's never that straightforward. Thank God. We have another uh, email uh, addressed to Lenore and Julie. Do you suggest parents limit their interaction with media so as to avoid news-induced anxiety? Do either of you limit interaction with media? If so, do you feel better about your realities? That's a Brittany in Washington, Washington Utah. Um, personally, I'm, I was a newspaper reporter for 14 years, so we still get um, a bunch of newspapers at our house, um, but I don't watch a lot of news, so they don't see it. I mean, the news makes me anxious. Forget about my kids. It makes me anxious because, of course, they're looking for the worst, scariest stories all the time. And, you know, it's like a diet. If you, if you restrict that a little on yourself, you'll just feel a lot better. Yeah, and on my end, um, you know, now that I'm aware of the statistics, thanks in part to Lenore's good research, um, you know, I, I, it's allowed me to tamp down my own anxieties as a parent. Look, I wrote this book, How to Raise an Adult, because I was seeing college students who were chronologically adult, best and the brightest, top GPA and test scores, but many, many of them over the years, an increasing number of them, seem to lack the wherewithal to think for themselves and do for themselves and be okay moment to moment without consulting with mom or dad. Even knowing you know, my concern for my students, I'm raising my two kids here in the suburbs in California. I had those same fears that some of your listeners have. It was the statistics that Lenore writes about that really helped me grow more comfortable with the fact that, wait a minute, I don't want my kids' lives to be um, directed and shaped by this sort of mythological level of fear of what could happen. You know, Tom, I'd love to get away from the label. We, you've talked about this. There are the labels, mm -hmm. helicopter mm -hmm. and snowplow and uh, bipartisan or whatever you said, parents. <laughs> you know, when I wrote my book, one. I thought, <laughs> let's get to the behaviors. Let's stop using labels that mm -hmm. make people feel mm -hmm. badly. And the, the three types of behaviors that we're talking about here when we say helicopter are overprotective. These are folks who think the world is scary and unsafe, and therefore I must try to prevent everything, protect them from everything, rather than prepare them for it. And that's Lenora's central point, prepare them. The second type is the over-directive type. This is the parent who says, I know best what will lead to your success, kid, and you will do as I say, grades, classes, schools, you know, careers, etc. And the third type is the hand-holding type, or the parent that wants to be their kid's concierge or personal secretary who wants <laughs> to, you know, smooth the path and wake them up and, and turn in all the forms and remind them of the deadlines. And, you know, all of these things, the protection, the direction, the hand-holding, it's all motivated by love and fear. Mm -hmm. You know, we fear. love them mm -hmm. and we fear that if we're not doing those things, they will not be okay. And here's the point. Research is increasingly showing that when we sidle too closely alongside our kids in a protective or directing or hand-holding way, we deprive them of the chance to develop 
a healthy self-efficacy, which is this core psychological thing in a human that says, I can see how my own actions lead to outcomes, and I can better those outcomes with more effort, maybe even master things. We parents are essentially interrupting that natural developmental stage or process by doing too much for them. If people began to appreciate the actual harm to kids, which then eventuates in more anxiety, more depression, and so on, if we could see the psychological harm that we're actually um, wreaking on them, you know, I think it would give us some confidence that, wait a minute, my job is to pull back and let them be at greater and greater distance from me as they grow up. You know, that's our job. Let me, uh, let's totally take another, agree. yes, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, go on. Uh, uh, just gonna... I was just going to say that I've heard of people um, in some neighborhoods now starting free-range kids, I don't want to call it support groups because it sounds like they're going through something horrible, but basically it's just, um, if you believe in free-range kids or you want to be able to let your kids play outside, walk to school, or like Julie says, you know, solve some of their own problems by having some free time without us there, you can meet up with other parents. It sounds almost contradictory. You're meeting up to disperse, but you're meeting up to sort of give each other, the, you know, the confidence to say, this is how I was raised. I want to raise my own kids the way my mom raised me, the way my dad raised me. And so you meet up other people and, like, let's all send our kids to school. Let's all let them, you know, have Wednesday afternoons off. There's a, there's a, there's a group in Chicago, suburban Chicago, that makes sure that their kids all have no classes, you know, no piano, no Mandarin, on Wednesday afternoons, and then they can meet up together and just play. And there's something fantastic about unsupervised time. We're, we're getting to the point, thanks to technology and thanks to the, the media scaring us, where we think that any time a child is unsupervised, they are automatically in danger. But I think Julie would agree that when our children are unsupervised, they have to come up with something to do. They have to solve their disputes. They have to figure out, you know, what are we going to do without a ball? You know, how are we going to play? So um, the the very developmental richness that Julie's talking about, where kids become confident and they can do things on their own, requires us not to be supervising and helping them every single second. And when she talks about this, the concierge parenting, it really is, I, I feel like, there's these two fears that are stalking American parents. And one is that their children will be kidnapped and killed, right, that we were talking about earlier. And the other one is that they won't get into <laughs> the very college that Julie hails from, which is Stanford. If, you know, it's like it's, they're both so scary. If I leave them on their own, they'll be hurt or they won't develop their potential. But as Julie points out, too, a lot of the potential is not just what comes out because you've taken seven years of lessons. It's Seven years of drawing on your own, writing, um, getting your friends together and learning to love chess or checkers or baseball. I mean, these things, even if they seem like trivial pursuits, are really key because you're learning how to deal with boredom, how to solve your, um, you know, who decides if the ball is in or out, who decides when the game is over, who decides the teams. Well, you're not going to make one team of six-year-olds and one team of ten-year-olds, so you start having all this social um, this you know, you're just developing your social interactive skills of, of being able to lead a group. So these are, these are ways that our kids have always traditionally grown up and gotten the skills that they need for adulthood. And the skill that they need for adulthood is more how to deal with friends and how to deal with conflict than it is to, you know, have your seventh year of Mandarin. Let's take another break. When we come back, we'll talk more about parenting. Um, and I want to get into some of the 
maybe the range of what uh, what's acceptable for parents, what you suggest. Um, and we'll talk more about those those labels. Uh, Julie Lithcott Hames has, has said that the labels uh, can can be counterproductive. Uh, we're talking with Julie Lithcott Hames, author of How to Raise an Adult. She served as dean of freshman and undergraduate advising for more than a decade at Stanford University. And she's now pursuing an MFA in creative writing at California College of the Arts in San Francisco. Her work has appeared on TEDx Talks, Forbes, Chicago Tribune. We're also talking with Lenora Skenazy, who's a blogger, columnist, and author. She's uh, written a book on free-range kids. It's also a blog and a, and a website. And uh, we are interested in your thoughts on parenting. Uh, how are you raising your kids? What are the difficulties? What are your, uh, what are your fears and, and hopes? And uh, perhaps you could uh, look back to your childhood. We have a, uh, a query up on the Public Insight Network. This is a chance for you to be the expert, uh, to, uh, to give your comments uh, or, uh, or expertise, and you can do, find that on our website, upr.org. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And the Zion Canyon Music Festival, September 25th and 26th in Springdale a Leave No Trace festival supporting sustainability and the development of renewable energy. Highlighting outdoor education, more at ZionCanyonMusicFestival.com. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Many schools across the country have had to deal with budget crunches for years, so they've increased fees for sports and extracurriculars. But now those fees are showing up in the classroom for things like lab goggles and printer toner. So how much can families be asked to pay for a public school education? That's next time on Here and Now. Tuesday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking with Julie Lithgott-Hames, author of How to Raise an Adult. And Lenora Skenazy has written a book. She's a blogger and columnist uh, on free-range uh, kids. We're talking about parenting on the program today. And you can join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495. It's our toll-free phone number. You can email us to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. And you can go check out our Public Insight Network query on this subject and become a source there at our website, upr.org. Talking about parenting, and parenting is, you know, it can be joyful, uh, overwhelming. You're suddenly responsible for another human being, a little human being. And so uh, you, can, you can see where, where parents you know, get those fears and, uh, and, and the joys. We're talking about it on the program today. Uh, I want to start uh, this uh, segment with Julie Lithgott-Hames. You were talking about the, the labels. Maybe we should do away with the labels. It's, it's, uh, for example, helicopter parenting. I don't think anybody's going to own up to being a helicopter parenting uh, parent, even though they may be just, uh, displaying those behaviors. Yeah, I think the labels just serve to divide us. It's funny, um, our, our counterparts up in Canada use the term snow, uh, sorry, curling parents, uh, reflecting the sport of curling, where you shove a huge stone down a sheet of ice, and there are two humans out in front of the stone called sweepers who are making sure that ice is as smooth and as glistening as possible so the stone can travel you know, on its way. And, uh, and so they call parents who exhibit these um, hovering styles, curling parents in Canada. You know, look, I think it's worth reminding your listeners, I'm a mom. I know Lenora's also a mom. I've got two teenagers. 
I discovered to my horror when they were about 8 and 10 that I was doing too much for them. I wasn't giving them greater opportunities to develop independence. And here I was, on the one hand, concerned about my 18 to 22-year-old college students not seeming to be independent enough, not confident enough out in the world without constantly checking in with mom or dad via cell phone. You know, at the same time, in my own house, I was doing too much protection. I kind of saw the link then between... Um, you know, what could eventuate at age 18 and what I was doing with my own eight-year-old. And that's when I realized, you know, despite however uh, concerned I might be, and I'm just as concerned as any other parent would be, what could happen to my kid? Oh, oh no. Um, I I would never want, obviously, something terrible to happen, obviously. And yet, how do I prepare them for that inevitable day of my departure from their life? You know, I really like to speak in these big-picture terms because, We've got to envision our our young kids, you know, walking these pathways um, of adulthood one day. And our anxiety, if we raise them to believe that, you know, the world is scary and unsafe and therefore you're never safe unless I'm with you, boy, that anxiety in us translates into anxiety in them. They become fearful instead of strong. You know, if, if indeed the world is that unsafe and Lenore and others will show us the stats that say it's not, it's far more safe than it ever was. But even if it is unsafe, you know, we've got to prepare them to be strong, to be warriors out there. You know, there are parents raising kids in Syria and in the Middle East and, you know, in parts of Africa and in parts of Europe and in parts of this nation, you know, where where scary things happen and kids have to be tougher. You know, the great irony here is often, our, you know, the people that harbor the fears we're all talking about on this show are in middle-class and upper-middle-class communities that are safe. You know, we're acting as if somehow our children are more needy of protection than kids who grow up in in actual scary circumstances. So we just, we need a mind shift about what the actual risks are. And again, how do we go about raising a kid so they've got the confidence, let's put it this way, to raise their own kids one day? Mm-hmm. Maybe our children will actually become parents and have to be the ones with the confidence and the competence about how to behave in the world and how to be with strangers and how to take transportation. You know, if we can envision that day, then maybe it'll make us appreciate, oh, my gosh, I've got to be sure my kids got what it takes instead of to pretend that I'll always be there to, to kind of hover over them. Lenore Skenazy, I, I wonder, before before I have you respond in general... I was going to say, there's, uh, she's so right, and there's one project that I've started doing in schools that I feel gives parents back the confidence that, that the media has grabbed from them, has stolen from them. And it's called, of course, because I label everything free-range, it's called the Free-Range Kids Project. And it's as simple as this. Um, a principal decides that the school is going to do it, any, any teacher who chooses to can, and it's, it's this. Uh, the, the teacher tells the kids, I want you to go home, and ask your parents um, if you could do one thing that you feel you're ready to do, that for one reason or another you haven't done yet Um, because kids know what their parents were doing at their age and kids know what they're capable of doing and they're they're champing at the bit they want to show us us parents who they are so the kids come home and they say um you know this is a project from school so the parents are eager to hear and then they say and it's a one-shot deal so that sort of gets the parents defenses down and then they say i'd like to do one thing which is walk the dog i'd like to make dinner for the family I'd like to get myself to school tomorrow. I'd like to pick up my younger brother from daycare. One of these things that is in another era would not have been considered controversial or dangerous or difficult at all, 
that we've taken from our kids' lives. We've stolen these opportunities for them to show us who they are. And when the parents say yes, which they usually do because it's endorsed by the school, the kids go out and do it. I just, I just did one where kids went, uh, two kids, 10 and 12, walked to their local store here in New York City, so it wasn't far, to get their, um, their parents some juice for dinner. They just went and got cranberry juice, and it took maybe 20 minutes. And when the kids came home, they were so proud. And the parents, who had been so reluctant to let them do anything on their own, they walked them to school, they picked them up from every soccer game, they see the kids coming home, and they feel relief. But more than that, they feel this pride. It's exactly what you was talking about. It's like, look, look who I raised. I didn't raise a little baby who just needs me all the time. Now I'm raising a blossoming young person who I gave enough confidence and enough rope to that they were allowed to do something on their own. And it's that, seeing the kids there, I'm sorry, I'm here, an accordionist here in Central Park, but <laughs> seeing your kids grow up and be competent is what we are hardwired to adore. And once you do that, you can't go back. It's like once you see your kid walking, you don't say, oh, I wish they could crawl forever. They're so cute crawling. It's like, look, there's my kid. He's walking. Yay. You make a video, right? Because you're so proud. So the Free Range Kids Project is described on my blog. If you go to freerangekids.com and you click on FRK, Free Range Kids Project, at the top, you can read about it, and your school could do it tomorrow. Let me uh, just briefly ask you, Lenore Skenazy, about uh, stranger danger. I think you... Well, I was reading an interview where you advocate the opposite of what uh, we've all been taught to teach our kids. Well, um, I advocate safety, as you should know. That I always love safety. I mean, people think I don't care about safety, but I believe in helmets and car seats and seatbelts and talking to strangers. Um, not going off with strangers, but talking to strangers. Because imagine this. Imagine your kid is walking down the street. It's getting, it's getting towards dusk. And... There's a, a van, you know, the, 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 the predator's choice of car uh, is following them kind of slowly, and they feel a little weird. Now, um, what I suggest they do is run across the street where some guy they don't know is raking his leaves and say, I'm going to stand next to you until the van passes by. Um, now, that's talking to a stranger, but I feel that it makes sense to ask people for help and to go up to people who are not actively coming to you. And, and if we take that common sense um, out of kids and we tell them that everybody is out to get them, you have just, you know, denuded the landscape of anybody who could possibly help them in a dangerous situation. So you want your kids to know that they can talk to strangers. They can just not go off with strangers. I mean, you probably have heard the story about the, the Utah Boy Scout got lost from his yes group. yes and indeed for three days yeah yeah you know yeah you're in utah you yeah. remember that story yeah yeah uh, all right tell it to me <laughs> uh so he's a young a young man um uh who uh nine years old um his name is mm-hmm. Ray grayson Wynn. he's up in the ashley uh i think national forest in, in the in the mountains gets lost and he's a fan of Man vs. Wild on the Discovery Channel. He used some of those techniques. Uh, he had the confidence mm-hmm. to uh, to keep himself uh, warm and, and safe. He left a trail. He, he did the things that uh, we're taught to do. And he was well, found you know, safe. It's, it's great.
like that you brought up the Boy Scouts because, you know, what I hear when I'm talking to people about my book, How to Raise an Adult, I'm going out to communities, and I inevitably someone in the audience raises their hand and says, I'm a scoutmaster, and let me tell you how things have changed over the years in terms of parental concerns about the types of activities we have, you know, the kids doing. You know, what used to be regarded as um, the reason to be in scouts, you know, the opportunity to use tools and make fire and figure stuff out, mm-hmm. you know, all of that adventure and competency building. You know, some, you know, there there are more and more parents today who are feeling like, well, I'm a little concerned about that, you know, and the scoutmasters are wanting to hold the line and say, wait a minute, this is what we're meant to be teaching our kids, you know. It's not, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a little risk. Yeah, there's a little danger. If they never sit next to that risk and learn to make good choices and learn how to use these tools and be in these situations, what's to become of them? And that's actually the question I'm asking in our book. Not only mm-hmm. what's in my book, what's to become of, not just what's to become of that particular kid, but what's to become of a society led by mm-hmm. a whole generation mm-hmm. of folks who've never been allowed to take a risk or had a chance to have a setback in life because mom or dad has always been there. I literally ask myself, you know, what is to become of a society populated by such quote-unquote adults whose parents have pretended they will always be there to make decisions for them and protect them? How will they be right, Or capable? who have been told, oh, sorry, I just want to say, or who have been told whenever there's a problem, go to somebody else to solve it. You know, if exactly. you're feeling um, unhappy or bullied or hurt or scared, you know, right. immediately report this to the authorities. Um, here in New York, if you see a, a bag on the subway, you're immediately supposed to report that maybe this is a bomb. And so everything becomes something for an authority to solve for you, you know, your mom or the police, basically. And I don't want that society either. I want a society of, of brave individuals, which is what first made America, right? It wasn't you know, parents uh, saying, don't go off to get 40 acres and a mule, stay by me. That wouldn't have worked. And I, I, re- I relate to the Boy Scouts. I've been up in the in the, <laughs> the wild with Boy Scouts. And at that age, the, you know, you get the impression they have no brains at all. Um, and, and, and they have their knives. And so it's a, you know, it's a situation fraught with peril, but yeah, they have to, they, you teach them the rules and, uh, then you, then you bind up their wound when they inevitably, uh, you know, cut themselves. Uh, so I want to, uh, we can just, just have say, a, wait, can I, can I just say one other thing about the Boy Scouts? Because yes. both my sons are Boy Scouts. Um, on you go, I have to say, um, is that the great thing that the Scouts do that, um, we're less and less able to do in real life because of all this turning to an authority or turning to an adult is that. Um, the minute you get a little older than the youngest scout, you're given some responsibility over them. And then somebody a little older than you is given responsibility over you. And it's all kids. And that's just this, uh, just an incredibly valuable opportunity to think that it's not just, you know, mom or teacher or babysitter who is going to solve these problems. You have to get the kids to put up the tents. And then you have to make sure that the fire is put out. And, and I love that. I don't see a lot of opportunity, especially with small families these days, for the older kids to ever learn how to become adults, as Julie says, with, um, by looking over younger kids, by, by being uh, in charge of younger kids. And in the Scouts, they do that very deliberately. And uh, we just have about a minute left. I just want to be a very brief uh, answer, you know, maybe, uh, maybe go to uh, Julie on this one. Um, what about technology? This could be a whole other, you know, 20-minute discussion. But uh, uh, there, there are companies out there who I, I was uh, just uh, looking at a, uh, a website for a company called Keyband. It's a, it's a wristband you can put on your kid and then it connects to your Bluetooth. Yeah, uh, 
goodness. I, you know, whether it's tracking our kids daily, uh, I mean, every moment, every movement with GPS or, or looking at their grades on a daily and weekly basis. You know, just because the technology is there doesn't mean we should use it. Kids are feeling hovered over to such an extent that it's damaging their mental health. There's an article I pulled up this morning from Psychology Today that says the decline of play and rise in children's mental disorders. Okay, it's speaking exactly to this point. Um, we've got to let them be You're a great. little bit more free. It harms them when we don't. That's that's the simple fact of it. We've got to, you know, go to our own therapist and talk about our fears, you know, but, but band together with our friends and our community to create, you know, this mindset that children need to play freely out of the, you know, constant watch of adults in order to really do the work of childhood, which comes from play. And uh, that's the way they make their way in the world. I mean, that's that's the bottom line here. And we're uh, we're just about out of time. I just want to give each of you uh, ten seconds to give a contact point. Lenore Skenazy, where can people find you? I'm really easy to find. It's freerangekids.com is my blog. Free Range Kids is my Twitter feed. Free Range Kids is my book. Okay, that's easy to find. Free Range Kids and Julie Lithcott Hames. Where where to find you? The book is How to Raise an Adult, the website howtoraiseanadult.com, on Twitter, at Raise an Adult, Facebook, How to Raise an Adult. Thank you. Thank you to you both. Appreciate that. Thanks. And uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with Thomas Mann and Norman Ornstein. They're uh, prominent political scientists. Their uh, recent book, It's Even Worse Than It Looks, How the American Constitutional System Collided with the New Politics of Extremism, caused quite a stir. We'll see what they think about uh, this summer of Trump and other issues. That's coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us. What is a subject that you are passionate about? What do you know more about than most? Utah Public Radio wants you to share your knowledge and become a source for the Utah Public Insight Network, a new collaborative effort between UPR and the Salt Lake Tribune. Information you share could help our reporters create more in-depth stories on the things that you care about or more meaningful discussion on our flagship program, Access Utah. Become a source today. Join UPIN. For more information, visit us online at upr.org. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Thank you for listening to Access Utah. The time now is 10 o'clock.